The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'll read to you from Acts chapter 2 and verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. We heard uh, in different ways this morning several sort of what I think of as key words from our brothers that were opening services and and praying, and uh, I think probably I noticed them because the passage of scripture I had on my mind this morning contained some components of all these different words that were being used, and, and that was actually this passage that Peter mentions over in the book of Joel. Brother David mentioned, uh, I think quoting roughly from Matthew 18, that when we're together the Lord is in our midst. I think Brother Chris said a couple times in his prayer that because of the grace of God and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not ashamed to approach the throne of God. And Brother Bryce uh, exhorted us as he began speaking uh, not to be afraid. There's so many uh, passages of Scripture that tell us uh, that we should not be afraid. And I thought of John chapter 6 where the Lord said, It is I. Be not afraid. You know, there is uh, this defect, it seems, in, in the experience of humanity that we uh, swing in a pendulum often culturally and you might say socially and really I think this is through many different civilizations over time between good times and bad times, right? It's a good day today so we kind of dread the bad day tomorrow. And then when the day's bad we can't hardly seem to think that it ever might be good again although usually that tends to happen, you know. And uh, in the book of Joel um, there's some hope being given to some people who haven't quite acted like they ought. And you'll recall, of course, in the Old Testament, there's this sort of perpetual, uh, again, pendulum swing back and forth um, among, specifically among the Jewish peoples as their nations are divided, etc. I'm not going into all that today, but you see there's times they, they serve him, times they don't serve him like they ought. And there's a warning given here in Joel chapter 2, verse 11. The Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? Um, I heard one of our button on embarrassing brother Craig Blair preach a very good sermon one time on the day of the Lord. And, uh, but there's also a sense in which uh, the day of the Lord comes to us in an appearance of the Lord. And of course we're looking for that day when he comes back and we're taken out of this place. You know, the resurrection occurs and we get to be with the Lord forever. But then also, 
there sometimes are uh, uh, times where the Lord comes in a day, you might say, of, of judgment. Amen. I don't know if you ever felt that way. But there have been times in my life when I got kind of off and wasn't acting like I should, and I felt like the Lord really told me, Neil, you better straighten that up or yeah. something's going to happen. Yeah. You know. Now, when the Lord does that, He'll give you insight and give you hope about how things can be better. Amen. In other words, if you're enduring the chastening hand of the Lord or you think you are, just ask the Lord yeah. if you are. I think he'll tell you. Amen. And I think he'll tell you what you can do to get out from under it, you know, to Amen. repent. And so they're given hope here. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn you even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts. Now, some of you younger ones in here this morning, uh, I know you're very familiar, and I'm constantly from the pulpit kind of uh, disparaging toward this ideology, but you're familiar with the idea of sort of follow your heart, right? Yeah. Sort of the end of the line of all of the Disney thing, top songs yeah. and things like this and all the princess movies. Just follow your heart. Yeah. That is not what the Bible says. Hey, okay? Don't remember anything else I say this morning. Hey, Please man. remember that. Yeah. Your heart is deceitful. Right. And desperately wicked. And if the Lord comes to you and says, hey, you're going the wrong way and your heart's in the wrong place, the thing to do is not to say, I think I'll just follow my heart a little further. <laughs> it's rend your heart. Amen. You know, Amen. rip and tear. And he says, don't just rend your garments. Don't just put on a show, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. No, really be sorry. Yeah. And ask the Lord to change you. Yes. And the Lord can do that with mourning. And then he goes on and begins to give them a sense of hope in this situation. And I'm using this in a general sense. Again, we're not going into the specifics today of where they are in time. But the Lord begins to tell them that through repentance, through listening to him, through rending their heart, through changing their ways, he begins to give them some hope. And in verse 20 he says, I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive them into a land barren and desolate. With his face toward the east sea and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall, shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land. So there, be not afraid. Fear not. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. The Lord listens to us when we repent. Yes, right. The Lord hears us, his children. I think they're the only ones that truly repent. Some people are sorry when they get caught. But the Lord's people are just sometimes sorry because they, they did it, right? Yeah, we, right. We, yeah, because right. the Spirit tells us. And lets us know, and, and, and we have the word of God to line up our lives to as best we can by the grace of God. And he says, Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, for the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. Be, then, be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For hath given you the former rain moderately, the former rain softens the field so you can plow them. And he gives you that if you repent, right? Or you wouldn't repent. Yeah. If the Lord didn't soften your heart right. with His Spirit and with conviction. And then He'll give you the latter rain. And it will come down so that you would have fruit in your life and things to eat. And the floor shall be full of wheat and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years the locust had eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. Excuse me. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed and you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and I am the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. As I said, another word is used this morning. Why? Because the Lord is there in their midst. 
And in a sense, I think that many of these things that are occurring here, and Peter's letting us know that we're seeing a fulfillment of that prophecy as he's preaching there on the day of Pentecost, relate to, to not having the fear, to understanding where you stand with God, to understanding that you're a child of grace, to understanding that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, you were redeemed by Jesus Christ on the cross, and the reason you know it and the reason you love God and have faith to believe it is because you've been born again sovereignly by the power of His Holy Spirit. Yeah. So you don't need to fear. You know, in the Romans 10 type of salvation, of having a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge and believing and confessing the things that are already in your heart, that are in your mouth, and being saved from some of those things from ignorance, uh, from working to establish your own righteousness, and then also from being ashamed. Romans yeah. uh, 10, I believe it's verse 13 or so. And so we're seeing that in the context of here are some people that Peter is talking to, okay, and specifically there in Jerusalem who have, who have gotten off track. You know, they've crucified the Lord for, for one thing, but, you know, they, they've taken their religion, which was a good thing. They've made it an onerous thing. You see the Lord as he begins his ministry, work, working through John chapter 1, John chapter 2. He goes to the temple at the Passover. There's a bunch of people cheating the poor people there. You remember, he runs them all out of the temple. When the Lord comes up to see what's going on, he's very displeased. He sees that they have taken the law and made it a burden to people. And they're not showing any grace or any mercy. You know, it's kind of they've gotten into a system where you can sort of buy your way out of anything. Um, and it's okay to do things that are an abomination to God. But, uh, but they're not lining up with their true hearts. And so Peter is, is, I believe, letting them know that day that the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And yes, he did die for us. And yes, he did shed his blood for us. And yes, he was buried. And yes, he was resurrected. And all of those things. But he gave us something else while he was here that specifically us Gentile, I'm a Gentile, us Gentile people did not have prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel message. And the message of repentance. And of forgiveness of God. And that it is not just for Jewish people who were under the law that it could be someone for someone who's a, of a Gentile descent like me. We, would, we wouldn't have had that. But still, what we see sometimes, as I said, culturally, even in a quote-unquote Christian nation, is we swing between, uh, here in our country, having been established um, much in a way of righteousness, and then having kind of had these little ups and down waves, and then now we kind of see it at a point where many of us lament, do we not? Especially those of us that are a little bit older, we dement the... We, we lament... <laughs> Brother Bryce says brain was slowing it. We lament the decline of the morality, don't we? And we sit there and we're like, why, 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 why? Yeah. We kind of follow that pattern. You've probably heard of this this way before. That um, bad times mold strong men. And strong men tend to create uh, good times. But the prosperity of good times many times leads to weak men. Yes. And the neglect of weak men then leads to bad times. And then usually in bad times, you'll have another generation of strong men come along, and women, not trying to leave y'all out. You know, I know behind every good man is an even greater woman. I understand that. I, mine's at home today, but I, I, know, I know how it's fixed. And so you sort of see this up and down. And so I would say, and, and, and I'm not trying to get into the prophetic sense of that necessarily so much today, because... There are some things in the scripture I don't fully understand. But I would say this. 
it's not necessarily always that it's one generation per se or one period of 10 years or 40 years or 100 years. But many times in, in a cultural sense, and I mean just in a general sense that we're American people, that we live in the, you know, the, the land of the free and we live under a, a certain sense of federal laws that kind of govern us all, okay? There's times where I... Um, experience some of these things, and I sometimes feel like, am I looking at, the, at, at this coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord of just judgment? Maybe. Right. Yeah. Okay. But Peter gives some hope. And I, this, this message is not just for, for young ones today, but I, but I would say that you're specifically mentioned here uh, in Acts chapter 2 in a couple of different ways. In verse 17, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Okay? Now, in the context of the New Testament church, and I would say the New Testament home, because I think most of our homes and marriages, I hope, are structured around a New Testament model, not the way Gentiles did things right. before they were Christianized. I hope. You know, most of us have tried to live in that manner. Okay, so, so our homes, okay, are a reflection of, of certain good things that are a light in times of darkness. Our churches to be a reflection of good things that are a light in time of darkness. And if you say, well, do people still prophesy? I would say yes. And I'll explain what I mean in a minute. Do people still see visions? Yes, I'll explain what I mean in a minute. And do people still dream dreams? Yes, even some of us old men dream dreams. I dream sometimes of churches full of people who love the Lord and just want to serve Him and have a heart that when they begin to stray away from Him, they feel convicted and they rend their heart. And they open it before the Lord and they say, Oh, Lord, give me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I dream of that. I dream dreams. But I also think that as I'm getting a little older, as Brother Bryce already alluded to, some of us, we are getting older. Okay. Um, some of that will be accomplished um, by God's grace, number one, but number two, by the efforts of some of y'all that are a little younger than me, because at this point, I am getting a little slower, weaker, and I dream a lot more than I actually do. You know, um, it's getting to be a little more difficult. I don't know if any of y'all have noticed that as you get older. Like, there was a time when I was in my 20s that 30s, even 40s, um, you know, opening day was something like Dear Susie, you know, I would think about it, I would just, I would prepare ahead, and now it's almost like, is it even worth it? You know, if it weren't for some teenagers in my house saying, "Hey, Dad, we're going tomorrow. We're going tomorrow. Where are we going to go? What are we going to?" You know, I probably wouldn't go. I'd probably just sleep in. You know, it's, it's just a sign of how we are. But, 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 so bear with me for a moment, because there was certainly here in Acts a sense of apostolic, prophetic application to this, as we know. And I won't look at all of them today, but you can look at Acts chapter nineteen, Acts chapter twenty-one. There were people who literally prophesied about things like the prophet Agabus, if I'm saying his name correctly, that prophesied that Paul would be bound in Jerusalem and would be delivered to the Gentiles. 
um, you had like some young ladies there who were the daughters of the evangelist Philip who prophesied. But then you also have prophecy in another sense, in the sense in which the Lord called men and used them to give us New Testament spiritual church type concepts yeah. that are prophetic. Yes. Right. And you and I don't prophesy like Paul did. Right. But we take what Paul said and wrote and we use it. Okay? And I will tell you, much of it will predict the general course of one's life and future. Amen. That's right. The extent to which they apply that. Yes. Amen. Okay? Paul's experience was like this in Acts chapter 26. In verse 15, and you're familiar with this, is that he's, um, you know, kind of being smacked down, having been an enemy of Christ. And he said, I said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. In other words, the Lord said, Paul, I'm going to appear to you and tell you stuff. Why? It's mind-boggling. Delivering thee from the people... And from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. There is repentance leads to restoration by the grace of God which then leads to you producing some fruit like they were over in the book of Joel. And some part of that package deal is this. Is that people return and they begin to understand the principles of what we were given by God and how we govern and manage our lives so we don't fall into that judgment of God. It's that we can see it and we can repent. Okay? You know, I don't know if you're troubled by this, but I'm sometimes troubled by this. When I meet people out in, in the world and my job and things like that who are grown people, who are sometimes very successful professionals, but they don't understand that it's wrong, for instance, to lie. That they just don't understand that if you lie, it's not only a sin, but it's a really bad idea, and eventually you'll suffer the consequences. Or they don't understand that adultery, for instance, is wrong. I'm being very plain this morning. I hope Brother David doesn't get too mad at me. Maybe a more of a pastor's message, but... You know, the Lord, I felt laid on my heart to say this this morning. Yeah. They don't understand that. And, and sometimes I'm like, now you grew up in the Bible Belt of Alabama where you can throw a rock in any direction just about and hit a church. And you don't know that it's wrong to lie and it's wrong to steal. Like some of the most disappointing events that have occurred in my life in about the last 10 years is when somebody just out bold-faced just lied to me right. knowing I would find out. Or stole from me, yeah. knowing I would find out. And then lied about it. Yeah. And I'm not talking about uneducated people. Right. <laughs> but they don't have that perspective. You know, so there's a sense in which I think that Peter is saying, hey, look, the days come. All right? The, the Lord has ushered in a, a um, dispensation of time where it won't be just the Jews who have the Ten Commandments anymore and understand right and wrong and how they should live, but, but these apostles are going to give it to the New Testament church. They're going to they're give some prophecies. The Lord is going to visit them. He's going to tell them things. They're going to write it down. 
And then to some extent, the way things go, in a general sense, going forward by the grace of God. And I'm not talking about eternal salvation here but in your everyday life will depend on whether God's people continue to prophesy with some of these things. Okay? One context of prophecy is telling the truth. And sometimes we sit back and we wonder, why is this moral condition per se going on in our country? And why is our even Supreme Court making some of these decisions? And maybe it's because some of us who still have some vision and who could still tell some truth don't. Or maybe we can say it, but we don't live it. And who will be most affected by that? If if as a 50-year-old man I live a dishonest life and I lie to people and I steal from people and I and I cheat on this, and I'm, you know, if I were unfaithful in my marriage and all those kinds of things, who's gonna see that before anybody else sees it? I was going to say the seven little ones that live in my home, but two of them don't live there anymore. The five that still live in my home, right? right, right They'll see it first. That's right. So do I, do I tell them? I mean, we've been given, I, I know it's hard. We have to, as children of God who've been in churches, who've heard things, who read the Bible, I trust you read the Bible. I hope you read it every day. Sometimes we have to kind of think back to unravel this what was the Gentile world like before we had the New Testament? Because we, most of us didn't have, the, didn't have the Ten Commandments and the writings that the Jews had, right? right? Most of our ancestors didn't. What was the world like? Dark. Right. Oh, it was dark. It was yeah. murder. It was whoever had the biggest castle and the most horses and the thickest armor, and they rode roughshod over everybody else and murdered them and took their land and set up kingdoms, and that's exactly what it was like. There were no rights. There was no freedom. There was no security. None of that. Unless you had a big sword and you were a big guy. I'm not that big. I would have really been on the bottom of the heap. Well, what does the New Testament tell us? The things that were given to Peter. The things that were given to Paul. The things that were given uh, as, as men wrote the Gospels and taught us how to live and told us what Jesus said and told us to love one another and that to love your neighbor and to love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's fulfillment of the law. And, and that developed into English common law and all the other things that we have that, that I, part of love is I don't hurt you. And part of love is you don't hurt me. Right. And part of love is I can help you have a ditch. Great, but I certainly don't run over you and throw you in there myself. That's all just part of But listen, that didn't exist. Amen. So part of what we have to do sometimes when we see the great and terrible day of the Lord, we see judgment, we see, oh, it's all falling apart, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible, is go back to the prophecies. Right. Amen. Basic things, I mean. I'm talking about basic things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, now listen, I'm not the standard on this because not all my children are grown yet, and I know I've messed some stuff up. I know I have. So don't think I'm saying this from a standpoint of, oh, I did it all right. Y'all need to do what I did. No, I'm not saying that. But I know there are people here with little ones, and I want to encourage you today. Listen, don't assume because your children are growing up in the United States of America, in Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, wherever you're from, that they're necessarily going to grow up with a moral compass. Amen. That's right. Get the book out. And you can prophesy to them out of this book. So what do you mean, Brother Neil? Absolutely you can. Galatians chapter 6. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall also reap. That's a prophetic statement that Gentiles didn't understand 4,000 years ago. 
A lot of people don't understand it now. Why? Because it's gone away. People aren't teaching it. They're not saying it. That the things that I do have consequences. I could go out and do certain actions today that will haunt me for the rest of my mortal life and I will never get out from under it as long as I live. Oh my goodness. Teach your children those things. I know I'm a little passionate today. I'm not mad at you, but I do love you. And I see the calamity that this kind of neglect creates every day in my just daily professional life. And I sometimes wonder, why do people do these stupid things? Because they don't know any better. That means nobody taught them. You say, well, Brother Neil, you don't know if they're a child of God or not. You're right, I don't. But you don't have to be a child of God to know you'll go to jail if you steal certain things. You don't have to be. Don't worry about that side. Let God handle that. That's right. But you make sure they understand those things. Amen. You know, some, some of, of spiritual prophecy is kind of common sense stuff. And some of it goes back, again, it's condensed for us in the New Testament. But go back to Proverbs chapter 5. Solomon here says in verse 8, Remove thy way far from her, meaning a strange woman. Come not nigh the door, lest I give thine honor unto the others, and thy years unto the cruel. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. Brothers and sisters, that's 3,000 years old. It's as true today as it was then. Okay? If you go to the strange man or the strange woman, or you go outside your relationship to the strange man or the strange woman, you will give your honor away. That's right. Yeah. And you will spend the rest of your life working really hard to pay somebody else's bills. Right. It may be even more true today because of the way our court system struggle, but I'm not the lawyer in the crowd, so I'll believe it. <laughs> but those are the kinds of things I mean. Like letting, letting them know that kind of stuff. Okay, Because sometimes we older people, we look back and we kind of dream of, well, I wish the world was like this, and I wish the world was like that. Well, one reason the world ain't like that is because I might not have, have done everything I could, and, and I, got, I need to try. But you, that are, but you that are younger, hear me. Listen, see what the Bible says and preach, teach that into your children's right. lives. Amen. He said, but Brother Neil, I'm not a preacher. I'm a lady. That's okay. Well, I meant to stay in Proverbs there. I'm sorry, but... I'll go back because I think this is important because I think sometimes maybe our, our ladies think, well, you know, I don't know how you think, but I just, I think maybe, I know our men teach in church and maybe, and maybe you think your role is not quite the same. It's not, but maybe if you ever think it's not as important, let me, uh, what we're trying to do in church is I'm trying to teach people things that I hope they'll go home and then use to be salt and light where they are. Right. But I'm only with them like an hour or two a week. At the most, yeah. if they come to both services. Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel. Now these, remember the Lord moved upon holy men of old to write these words. These old men wrote them down. But look where he got them. The prophecy that his mother taught him. That's right. Right. Amen. Wow. Yeah. He wrote it down, but it didn't necessarily originate with him. His mother taught him. Her mother probably taught her. Her dad taught her. Somebody... It's sometimes things that are handed down and then it goes on and talks about um, not giving your strength to women or to wine. In other words, don't run after wine, women, and song. Live soberly. Live godly. Man's mother taught him that and now we have it in the Bible. Or Titus chapter 2 where the older women are to teach the younger women. Well, if you don't, how how can you teach them if you don't have anything to teach them? You need to know what the Bible says. You need to study it. You need to have... Also, the, the, that vision, okay, for something. 
and a clarity which you get through the Scripture, by the way. Um, I think sometimes, if I go over on time, y'all please forgive me. I'm just it's so in, in my heart today. I, I, you got it? Amen. Sometimes uh, I think that we're so focused on what I would call secular success for our children, which is important now. I don't want my children to suffer and not have the needs of life. Okay, that's important. But then we don't necessarily give equal weight to the things of God. Now that's the 2 Timothy 2.15 conundrum. If you're willing to turn with me there, and if I can find it. My Bible's getting flaky here, but... I gave my new Bible I got for Christmas to my son who was supposed to give it back to me. And I'm still using my old one. It's about almost a year ago. I need to talk to him about that. I hope he's using it well. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto who? God. Unto God, right? Not to me, not necessarily me to you, although I do want the church to approve of what I say. Sometimes they do. Maybe I hope they do. If they don't, I still want to be faithful. But I'm studying to show myself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be, there's that word again, ashamed. Now we stand pure and cleansed as we come and pray before the Lord by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's a sense in which we can live in this life where we just go around feeling ashamed all the time. And what he's saying is, is work hard for Jesus, study the word that he gave you, study the prophecies, live in that, and you don't need to be ashamed of it. Because, you know, I've said this before, one of the saddest days of my life was when I went in Dollar General a few miles from our house and there was a whole shelf of King James Bibles for sale for a dollar. I might have shared this with you. But he said, what's so sad about that, Brother Neil? Is that the whole shelf was full. And they're a dollar. People weren't buying them. It just, it just struck me. They're not studying. They needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But see, here's the flip side. This is where it has to do with like focusing more on secular things than you do on biblical things. He says, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. In other words, not only am I supposed to be studying the word and show myself approved unto God, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I just need to leave alone. Because right. it'll just make me worse. Right. Right. Not all knowledge is good. Right. Some knowledge, as we know, increases sorrow. Right. Some knowledge is a bad thing. Right. And if you can't find something decent to watch on TV, pick up this old book and read it. It will not let you down, I promise you, in a million years. It's the Word of God. It'll be here long after you and I are gone. If it doesn't turn very soon. And the things that are in it will prophesy about lives 500 years from now if He doesn't come back very soon. That's right. There have been times in my life where I got down to a low place and I began to read it and I was, I was falling under conviction for some sin I had committed. And then I looked and I'm like, that was in there. Yeah. And I remember my mom telling me that. She prophesied, Neil, if you do this, this is going to happen. I was talking to a friend a few years ago. I'd known him almost 30 years ago. We used to hunt together in South Alabama. And he began to live a, a much different life than I was living. I'm not saying I was right, but I will say he was wrong. And, and I talked to him a few years ago, and, and he told me this on the phone. He said, Neil, you and your wife are right. I processed that for a while, and I realized that, no, I wasn't right. I was just living, to some extent, by the grace of God, by what this book said. And right. it was right. That's yeah, right. And he said, I wish I had listened Amen. to you then. But he repented and rent his heart, and he's doing well. But you see, 
There are prophetic things that are there. That now, And you say, well, that doesn't really sound like prophecy. It was when it was given by God to these men, okay? Yeah. All right? But we've got it written down now. Yeah. So we can quote it. Yeah. But you can't quote it if you don't know it. Amen. Right? And it, and it also affects your sense of vision and of clarity. I'm going to close with this. It's just sort of a... I hope it's not too worldly an example, but I was reading a few years ago about people that just excel in different areas of life. You know, and, and, and many times it's thought that, for instance, somebody being able to excel at, at, at some particular musical skill, for instance, is just purely talent. You know, I have some of my family, my wife and girls, you know, play violin for weddings and things. And I've had many people come out for the wedding and say, oh, your girls are so talented. And I just smile and say, thank you. But, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> I Listen, I heard them when they were four or five, and it didn't sound like talent. <laughs> and at 10, it still didn't sound all that great. Now at 15, hey, it was starting to move and hum right along where I was like, hey. And by the time they were 17, 18, 19, it was getting pretty good. You know, the, the sociologists and to some extent the psychologists have looked at this phenomenon a little bit and they studied it in other countries where people are sort of put in, in you know, positions based upon what is uh, thought to be innate ability or based on some sort of, sort of testing system like they do, for instance, in the country of Germany where you don't just go sign up at college and say, oh, I want to be a fill-in-the-blank. You know, you take some tests and they decide what they think you'd be good at and where you'd fit and then you, can, then you can go and the government will pay for it. But if you don't fit in that little peg there, you're probably not going to be able to do that career there. They do that with musicians. They have them come in at a certain age and test them. Brother Bross would know a lot more about this than I would. But for instance, if I, I noticed this when I was reading about this a few years ago in regards to violinists because my girls play the violin. And, the, and so they kind of, they sort of partition them up. Well, these violinists over here are going to be our concert violinists that play before the world. These great operas, etc. And these violinists over here are going to teach in college, maybe high school. These violinists over here, they're going to teach elementary students. And they portioned them out based upon the perceived ability. But then when they took the people that were in those groups and really started to question them, they found out some things. All of those people in the upper echelon had spent somewhere between eight and 10,000 hours in their life practicing. Yep. The people in the middle echelon were somewhere between six and 8,000 hours and the people that were kind of relegated to lesser ability, most of them had somewhere around 4,000 hours. So that means somebody in the upper echelon, if they were 20 when they tested them, had been playing two hours a day every single day since the time they were five years old. You say, Brother Neil, what in the world does that have to do with the Bible? It has everything to do with it. Now, I'm not talking about the preaching gift and the gift of the Spirit. I'm not saying that. But in terms of you young person someday in your home being able to take out your Bible and answer your kids' questions about creation oh, right. and about life yeah. and about morality and about why they feel the way they feel has everything to do That's with right. it. Amen. Because if you've devoted your life to studying that Amen. and if you have put in those hours and not spent them on profane and vain babbling, you'll have something to say. Right. Amen. Amen. And it will clear your vision. Right. I'm going to close with the hunting story. <laughs> it's November. Last time I was here a couple years ago, Brother Dave called me and preached. I told you a fishing story. Hey, honey. Seven, eight years ago, I was out with my boys. My oldest son, some of y'all met McNeil, my oldest son. He's 20 now. And this, he was probably 13 at the time. It was after deer season. And after deer season, you know, deer hunting clubs will let you hunt rabbits. 
because I don't care about the rabbits. So we would go around and hunt rabbits, cane cutter rabbits, you know, the really large brown rabbits. And so we had gone several times, and one evening I picked them up. We went out, and we got on this field. It was about 300 yards long, and we crept to the edge of the field. <clears throat> I didn't see anything on the field. I said, I don't see anything. We'll go to the next field. Manuel said, uh, Dad, I, I see something. It's okay. But I didn't believe him. <laughs> so he gets down in the prone position, and he creeps to the edge of the field with his ruger, and I hear a crack. It's the crack of the 22. And out there so far that I couldn't believe you could hit a rabbit with a 22, a cane cutter rabbit flips over, shot through the eyeball. I pace off, it's 93 yards with a, just a regular 22, not a, not a magnum. And so I thought on this for a while, and I thought, you know, I, I left there that day mystified because I'd always taught my children that, you know, pure ability is not what lets you surpass. It's not what allows you to, to succeed and excel. Yeah. It's your hard work. And I thought, he just crept right up there one shot and, and shot one further than I ever have. How, how is this possible? And how could he see that when I couldn't see it? And I realized after I pondered on a while, a couple things. One was, I didn't see that rabbit that day because I wasn't looking that far because I can't shoot that far. <laughs> so, you know, I look out there 40, 50 yards, there's nothing there. Less time to go, boys. If, if there's something 200 yards away, I, it doesn't matter. I, you know, that, that's, I, I, can't, I, I can't reach. My reach is not that long. Just let yeah. it go. Move on to something we can do. The second thing was, a couple years later, I'm cleaning out our little gun closet. We have downstairs in our home. And a few years before, when ammunition was cheap, I had bought a couple of cases of 22 shells. Now, those cases had 3,250 rounds in each case. And I thought I had a couple cases. I get down there and start cleaning it out, and there's one case left, and it's got like two boxes left in it. Now, I know the other two boys were too young to go out and shoot by themselves. So the next time I see my Neil, I kind of read him. I said, hey. What happened to all my 22 shows? <laughs> and then I began to realize how he could hit something at 93 yards with one shot. Yeah. Because he had literally, when I was at work, been at home practicing and shot thousands right. of rounds. It was an accident. Amen. It was a defined target, defined distance, and he knew what his abilities were. Now, I'm not saying he, he's never messed anything up. And that, but on that one day, he looked right. like the hero to us, a simple <laughs> one-shot man. But it wasn't one shot, you see. No. It was the sum of 5,000 shots. Amen. Right. Yeah. And hours of tuning and honing that and right. learning to look. Yeah. <clears throat> when we're thinking about the fact that we're in kind of a dark age... And our job is to be light, okay? Will we give this 5,000 shots or 10,000 hours? When the time comes to prophesy and to speak some truth into someone's life that desperately needs it and is wanting it because they have figured out what they're doing doesn't work. Child of God, will you know what to say? Will you be ready to give an answer? Okay? And for you older ones like me that are dreaming, listen, we need to equip those young ones. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, 
I'm telling you. If they come to church at our church and listen to me for 45 minutes, you know, on a Sunday, that's 45 minutes a week. What if, what if you did 30 to 45 minutes of devotion time yourself with your Bible and you did that five nights a week? Right. You just told them five times more information than I have. Amen. And it didn't come from this old guy. Right. Yeah. It came from someone that they see living it out. Amen. Okay. Please. I love you. But let's have some vision. Let's clarify it with this, with diligent study, showing ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. And when it's profane and vain babblings of the world and it's driving you crazy, and I hear people say it all the time, I just can't stand to watch the news anymore because it's all bad news. Don't watch it. <laughs> I heard some good news this morning about the resurrection. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Remind them of those things yes. and these practical things. I thank you for your time. Amen. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.